You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 12 today, Acts chapter 12. In a moment, we'll stand and we'll read some scripture together. As you're getting there, I would like to remind you in chapter 12 that Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church. He killed James, the brother John, with the sword. This is a very difficult time for the church. The church was going through a very awful time. As a result of Herod, and his name is never associated with righteousness, Herod began to see that it pleased people to kill these Christians. And by one by one, he'd begin to kill them. James, and there are several James in the Bible, but this was the brother of John. And he saw that it would please these people if he'd kill this, this one, and he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. He put others in prison, apprehended them. What can a church do when you have troubles like this? What can a church do when a governor is going to sign a bill that shackles the church? What can a church do when the nation thrives on sin? And sin is now called good and righteousness is called bad. What can a church do when 72,000 of our children last year died because of the drug epidemic that's invading our young people? What can a nation do? What can a church do when it seems like homes are falling apart? What can, a, what can a church do when it seems like there's apathy? I, I hear this summer in America, more Sunday school teachers want to resign teaching than those that want to stay teaching. Well, you must not have ever had the call of God on your life then. God gifts people with a call for teaching. His word says that. How in the world can you give up that class? How in the world can we give up the opportunity to reach people on the buses and boys and girls and men? How in the world can we stop serving God? When I don't want to, another church, they stopped the choir this summer. Others have because nobody wants to come practice. How do you, how do you go to church and not want to sing? Not want to play an instrument? I don't want to do less with my life I want to do more with my life. These are last days. What can a church do? Stand with me, please, and let's read beginning in verse 5, and we will read verse 5 through 16 together, and I'll have you do the reading in Acts chapter 12, verse number 5 through 16. Ready? I'll wait till you get there. Acts 12, verse 5, 5 through 16. Ready, begin. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison. 
Let's bow for prayer. Father, here's the prayer for deliverance. It was church prayer. And I pray that this church would become a mighty example to the people of God of a place that prays. God, may we take everything to the end prayer. We think of the life of Charles Spurgeon we read of today in the late 1800s. He mentioned and said repeatedly that a church will rise or fall with its prayer life. May we realize the urgency of prayer, the necessity of prayer. May we realize to not pray is pride. And Lord, we think we can do it without Thee. Help us, please, God, to have our eyes open to the subject of prayer in these weeks as we study prayer of Bible of the Bible. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Verse 1 says, Now about that time, and you help me here, Herod the king. Can you help me? Who was the king? And who was the king? And Herod was the what? He was the king. About that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hand. What did he stretch forth? Who did? And what was he? He stretched forth his hand to vex. The word vex means to torment, to harm, to hurt. What did the king do? He what? He vexed. How did he do it? By stretching forth his And who was the king? And the king was whom? He vexed certain of the church. Who did he vex? The what? The church. What did he do? He what? Vexed. How did he do it? He reached out his hand. Who was this that did this? And what was he? The king Herod. Verse 2. And he killed James. He killed James. Who was killed? Who killed him? And Herod was what? What was he doing to the church? How did he do it? And then who did he hurt? The church. And he, and he took this man, James, the brother of John. James had a brother. His name was? And John had a brother. His name was? And the Bible says he killed him with the sword. He killed whom? With what? Who did this? And what was he? 43 years ago, on February the 8th, 1976, I stood behind this pulpit. The very first Sunday school lesson I ever taught in this church was 43 years ago. I preached Sunday morning behind this pulpit, John 3:16. I preached behind this pulpit Sunday night on the subject of your adversary and arming yourselves in the Ephesians chapter 6. The very first words out of my mouth was in Sunday school speaking to a small group of adults, perhaps 20 people at the most, and I took this text. I can remember as if it was yesterday, I did exactly what that crowd, but longer because we went through the, whole, the, the entire chapter and we just kept rehearsing. Who is the king? And Herod was the what? And he stretched forth his to what? Whom? And who did he kill? He had a brother by the name of, and he killed him with a, and went through the entire, that chapter, I'll never forget it. It was such an enjoyable time. I wasn't a public speaker. I'd only preached three times publicly in my life. 
I taught Sunday school, started in second grade, and I had an adult Sunday school class, but I never preached to church but three times. One time, actually, was not to a church. I was on the radio. By process of elimination, no one could take the live broadcast, the church where I was at, and they called me a few moments ago before the service, before the radio was to go on, and I went and I spoke on the radio. Only spoke two times in church publicly. And I remember at the end of that day, February the 8th, 1976, I said, Lord, if you'll allow me to do this, I want to do this my whole life. I'm not saying I'm good at it, God, but I love today. I preached publicly three times in one day. I matched my record for preaching in one day right behind this pulpit. I love this old pulpit. We, it was similar to this color, and a couple years later, we stained it. It was a little bit darker, and we had, in the late 70s, orange pews, orange carpet. It was in. You remember? And someone, I never, I never wanted, I never wanted orange fabric up here. But a dear lady, she's with the Lord. She one day got some of that fabric and covered this and covered this. It looked hideous. Dark. Brother Bob Sager take this, took this a few years ago and he redid this for us. I look inside, there's the exact color it was. It's flipped around the wood exactly the way it was when we stained it. My history is in this pulpit because Acts chapter 12 was the very first thing I said behind this pulpit. God's been so good to me. But one of the greatest regrets, and I have so many, was I wish I would have been more a man of prayer, and I wish I'd have led my church more in prayer. I've tried, and I have a prayer journal. I work with my prayer journal daily. It's a long, lengthy prayer journal. Some of your names are there. Uh, business people are there. Deacons are there. And staff members are there. And the sick are there. And the widows are there. And the widowers are there. And the military people are there that I know and love. Backslid people are on that list. Most pages hurt me. Missionaries are there. Needs. I have a large page. Of, I just call it the miraculous kind. And it can't happen. It just can't happen unless God does it. One of my greatest personal failures, however, has been the lack of prayer. One of the greatest failures in this church and any church is the lack of prayer. We go through life and then we get an emergency in 911. We need God. Help us. Help us. And I'm all for that. And call me when there's a 911. I'll pray with you. But what about men on always to pray and not to faint, Luke 18, 1. Pray without ceasing. I find the older I get, I try to live in prayer. I know I'm boring for my wife. I just, I find myself, I'll go down the road and I'm praying. I, I know, I, I know it's, I, I, I can walk, I, I don't have to listen to a lot of radio. I do like KMBBC, our radio station. But there's so much to get done. There's so little time to get it done. 
Here's an illustration of a man who needed prayer. He's in prison. Spurgeon was asked, they said, what is it about your church? Why is it such an amazing ministry? The cab drivers that drove those horse-drawn carriages, people would get in the cabs all over London, and they said, where are you going? And they called Charles Haddon Spurgeon, Charlie. They said, I'm taking to Charlie's place. The place was packed. Spurgeon, someone said one time, what's the secret of success? And they had a trap door here that went down to, there was an auditorium below it, and you could go other ways, but he said, that's the secret right there. I'll show you my heating plant. And the man said, what in the world are you talking about? And he opened it, he said, every time I preach, there are 500 men below me praying for every single service. I don't fault God's people. You're busy. But I wonder how many people even prayed for their pastor this morning. God anoint him. God help him. And I thank God you pray at meals and all that, but I wonder how many have said, that man, that man needs prayer. They said another time, Spurgeon, what is it about you that's so different? Why is it that you have such a blessing and power of God on your life? What's it all about? And he said, I can say this is the reason, because I have a people that I pastor that pray for me. I owe my ministry to my people. D.L. Moody pastored the great church in Chicago. He died in 1895. They were contemporaries at the same time. They both died in their 50s. They made many trips across the ocean. D.L. Moody went to the church and then he came back to Chicago I said, the thing that was so impressive, yes. He said, I entered into an auditorium that I'd never heard singing like that in my life. I'd never seen a, a, a church so organized and ushers going, people here in the choir, and the music was so heavenly. And he said, the enthusiasm was so exciting. But I've come back with a new renewed desire he said, I watched a man who lived in prayer, Charles Haddon Spurgeon. His sweet wife became ill and afflicted early in their marriage while they were young kids. She was not able to attend church. She became an invalid. She would wiretape, they'd get the wiretape of his messages or he would preach to her and she wrote them down. And I have in my office volumes and volumes and volumes and volumes and volumes, secondhand books, Sunday morning message, Sunday night message, Sunday morning message, Sunday night message, his Sunday morning prayers, his bulletin articles, the songs we're singing today, and there's volumes of them because of a wife that never had the joy of hearing her husband preach. But she prayed for her husband. She felt like God raised her up for him. May I say today, if there's ever been a moment in America's history, the church needs prayer and the people of God must pray today.
Herod's out of control. And I want us to see some things of this prayer for deliverance. Let me use the letter D. I see the dispot. There have been many dispots in America and the world. There have been the Hitlers and the Stalins and the Mussolinis, the Khrushchevs, others, Pol Pot. But there's one called Herod. He's never associated with righteousness. And he stretched forth his hand. He put, that means he put some energy into it to vex, to torment, to harm, to hurt the church. The New Testament local church has always been hated by the despots, presidents and kings and rulers. And here's a man that hated the church. I think of the dark ages, and if you'll go home and just Google dark ages, you'll find it yourself. Romanism, the Roman church, killed over 50 million Christians. As now with computers and as they're able to go to the catacombs in various places, they discovered they believed that 50 million was a short, small number. They believe it may have gone up to 100 million Christians died at the hand of Rome over 500 years. They would chain Christians together and a man and his wife and his children and another family and they'd walk them to the pier and say, now deny Jesus Christ. The men would cry out, I cannot deny him. And one by one, the man went, they threw him in the water, chained to his wife, chained his children, and one by one, they drowned. They, they had the pickets along the fence, along the roads, pickets like this. And they'd take the heads of Christians and they'd stick the heads of Christians on top of those pickets. It's a little booklet in here, The Trail of Blood. You can read about how they crucified him. All the disciples but one were crucified or killed or pulled asunder with four oxen and they would pull their limbs off and kill them. They butchered them. They beheaded them. They were getting ready to kill Peter and he said, I'm not worthy to die like my Lord. Crucify me upside down. And they crucified him. And then we get so nonchalant with this Bible. These are martyrs. And here's a man, James, the brother of John, whose head was taken from his body. Rome, a great emperor, said, I want, I, I want a Colosseum that will seat thousands upon thousands. I want to have the games in the Colosseum. He hired an architect. He designed the architect. He said, he designed, the architect designed the Colosseum. He said, I promise you, the emperor did, that on opening day, I will honor you like no man has ever been honored. He had drawn the, the plans and they had built the Colosseum and now it was filled the very first day. The emperor came and they said, below this Colosseum are cages we will use this Colosseum largely to kill Christians. The lions, can you hear them? And you could hear the lions that had been not fed and they were hungry. You could hear the sound of raging lions. And you say, can you hear the sound? Bring out the Christians. And I want to honor the man that built this great Colosseum for us. He stood and he said, Mr. Emperor, 
are those Christians that are going to be eaten alive by these savage beasts? They said, yes! And the crowd began to chant. They said, I'm a Christian too. They threw him into the arena with the rest. They said you could hear the bones breaking as they chomped on him. Polycarp was a great preacher. If you've done any study in history, Polycarp was the pastor of the church at Smyrna. And he was good friends with the apostle John. He outlasted John. John was killed. But, but here is Polycarp, the great preacher of the first century. He was now 86 years of age. And the emperor came and said, we are going to burn him at the stake. And Polycarp even tried to test the flame with the candle the night before. Could he put his hand in there. And he thought, oh, no, I'll deny him, my Lord. I don't want to deny you. And then he said, as they came and brought him to the stake, and he said, they said, deny the Lord. 86 years I have served him, and he has never failed me. I will not fail him. John Huss in 1415, they put him to the stake and burned him alive. And I might say it was John Huss. I, I'd had a surgery. I'd been in the hospital for five days several years ago, probably 20 years ago or more. And I came out and I was still medicated on these drugs and I couldn't sleep and I was frustrated. It had been days I'd, I'd wheel in the hospital around at night in a wheelchair for five nights, wide awake. I was crazy. And I remember going home and could not sleep and I was such pain. I was laying on the ground. We had VHS and it just came out and our bookstore had a video of John Huss and they reenacted how he's burned at the stake. And I said, God, before I watch it, I said, God, I don't want to live if I have to live this way. Got little kids. I can't even hold them. About three o'clock in the morning, I threw that VHS in and began to watch it. They took John Huss and they burned him at the stake. I shut it off and said, oh dear God, I'm such a, I'm such a loser. I'm discouraged about a little thing and here's a man that gave his life. God, please forgive me. These are great examples of great men and women of God. Here, this despot hated he hated God's people. I see the decision of the church, verse 5. Can we read verse 5 together? Ready, begin. Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing the church. The church prayed. Look at verse 12, the latter part of the verse, where many were gathered together praying. Praying. Oh, I desire a culture of prayer in our church. I know every year our teenagers do this on their own. They, I don't know if it's once a week or how they do it. They assemble early in school before school begins. And it's student-led. They go to prayer. And they come early. They're busy lives. Oh, I pray this year our college students will be men and women of prayer. I pray our school students would be people of prayer. Our faculty, our staff, our deacons, our deacons' wives, our church. 
There needs to be decision. I will pray. I'm going to pray. You've heard me say it so many times. We have 13 grandkids. Nine now live away from us. We used to see them every day, and now we don't see them. The only avenue I have to those kids is prayer. Oh, we'll write a letter. We'll send the birthday cards and all that. But that's not a bad avenue to have left. To be able to go to God. I've made a decision. Lord, I will every day not only pray for their salvation and have all, all but four now are saved. And they're little, little kids. These other that are left. But I could pray for their lives. Our eldest is 16. She's going to, one of these days soon, probably begin to think of eventually marriage. Oh, she's got to marry right. She has to marry right. She's going to get a man of God that loves God. Not a man that's given over to sin all of his high school days, but a man that loves God. There's a decision, grandmother, you're going to have to make. You say, but I'm alone in life, and I just sit in this house or in this, this nursing facility all by myself will become a person of prayer. Perhaps God can use you to turn the tide in America. Dear sir, you're alone in life, and you go out to the cemetery, you stand there at the grave of your wife, your loved one, and you're lonely, you're sad. Turn to God in prayer for this country, for this church. Here we are in the hotbed of liberalism and the Silicon Valley, and yet there's this lighthouse called the North Valley Baptist Church. You know how important this church is these days? And I would hope every church would feel that. But not only do we see the despot, the decision, I just see the deliverance of God's man. Would you notice beginning in verse 6, and Herod would have brought him forth the same night. Peter was Reminds me of Daniel thrown in that den of lions and it was not a den of lions, it was a den of lions. Lions were there. Can you imagine Daniel in a den of lions? God shut their mouths. Perhaps they were all laying down there and he used the stomach of a lion to put his head on it. And that growling of the stomach, you're so hungry, but God shut his mouth. Daniel could probably shove that line and say, hey, 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 stop it. You keep me awake. That's Peter. Peter knew he was going to die. That night he was going to die. What's he doing? Sleeping. Because God is in control. Nothing touches me, but that's filtered through the hand of a holy God. And God allowed him to sleep. And the, I love the story because he, he thought it was a dream. The angel of the Lord came unto him and the lights shone, shined in the prison and smote him on the side. Rise up! And the chains fell off. Imagine the noise. But verse 11, as he heard the first gate open up, verse 10, and he heard the second. But when he was come to himself, When he has come to himself, God sent an angel. I know you're not angels. I know I'm not an angel. But God has so many times 
in my life sent people that acted like angels, ministering spirits. A little kid came across the platform two weeks ago, just a little one. I don't even remember who it was, but a little girl. No, it was a little boy. And I shake their hands on Sunday night as they come through here. He must have been a four or five-year-old. And they went and saw Mrs. Treber. That child looked at me with sincerity, sincerity in his eyes. I said, Pastor, he said these words, God bless you. I'm praying for you. You know, there are times I sit in this chair and I just love it. I just love it all the time. And sometimes the old devil's this big chair here. And I sit over here and sometimes it feels like that old devil's sitting with me. And he's whispering in my ear. And that little kid came by. Martin Luther, the founder of the Lutheran Church. He was a Catholic priest and then he got saved reading the book of Romans on justification but he noticed after salvation there still was a big battle and war inside one day he said the old devil was resisting him and was fighting against him he was resisting him one day he took an ink well and he threw it against the wall they said they left the ink stain on the wall because it was just an indication how that the devil would fight against him if you're doing something for God the devil's going to fight you God sent that little boy a little child to say, God bless you, Pastor. I mean, what little kid says, God bless you? God bless you, Pastor. I'm praying for you. Sometimes you think, I wish the internet people knew that. I wish they'd pray instead of write. I find deliverance, and then I find there's disbelief and doubt, and I don't have time, but you can read it. He's knocking at the door, and Rhoda came, and she, and, and she went back, and they said, No, no, you're mad. Perhaps you're like, I am sometimes just disbelief, and we'll say things after God answers prayer. I can't believe he did that, <laughs> but he did. And then the destruction of a king, God dealt with him. Herod, verse 20. They made a, a royal apparel that day, verse 21. The people gave a shout saying, it's the voice of God, not of man. They were lifting up Herod and immediately the angel of the Lord smote him because he gave God not the glory. He was eaten up with worms and gave up the ghost. He's still on the throne. And then Noah took place, the development of God's word. Verse 24, the word of God grew. I'd like you to invite you tonight at 545 and I normally take 30 seconds to say pray. And we'll just start to pray before the service. I've asked there to be a culture of prayer. I've tried every service, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, since I've been asking you this about six months now, to pray with someone. I walked in that door and the young man, I said, would you pray please? He prayed. I walked up here and one of these young men prayed. It wasn't long, it wasn't, I just want there to be a culture of prayer. I want there to be what I'm praying or someone else. I want there to be piano playing. I want people shaking hands. I want there to be laughter. I don't want it to be a, 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 like a monastery in here. But I'd like to see 
lot of you women start to pray together. A lot of you men, a lot of you couples, just bow your head for a moment or two and say, oh dear God, do something today. There's somebody's life that hangs in the balance today. There's somebody's marriage that hangs in the balance today. I stood that morning, a young man in my 20s, right here. This pope will always, always be special. Because I came to our church, my first words out of my mouth. Now the Bible says there was, and they spoke about Herod the king who stretched forth his hand to vex certain of the church. And he killed James and brother John with the sword. But prayer was made. i like us to be a prayer church. Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.